welcome to DevCast, brought to you by Devril Smith, the right people. DevCast is where property meets people, industry figures, news and views, what it takes to be your best. So sit back, earphones on, and enjoy this edition of DevCast. Welcome to DevCast, Devil Smith's audio series, which holds exclusive and thought-provoking interviews with property with professionals of the property industry, I should say. My name's Andrew Devil Smith, I'm the founder of Devil Smith, and today I'm joined by Lucinda Pullinger, Managing Director of Instant Group. The Instant Group has been rethinking the workspace since 1999, apparently. Um, work, I didn't know you, were, you guys were that old. Anyway, anyway, working with businesses of all sizes, providing them with unrivaled workspace data and corporate real estate strategies to achieve their business needs and generate value. Lucinda sits at the cusp of people, workspace, and leads a talented team of experts across the UK. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. Well, thanks for coming. Um, I'm really excited about this one because I just think I think it's so topical. Um, I should confess that um, wearing my DS hat, we've been talking about offices in every board meeting yeah. for the past however long it's been, 24 months. And here I have somebody sitting in front of me who's got all the answers. So um, that's, that's terrific. Let's see how I go. <laughs> Before we do that and talk property... I'm, I'm really keen to talk you, if that's okay. T- tell us your story, because I think it's different to most MDs in our sector. Yeah, it is. So my professional career, I started off, my whole sort of first 20, 25 years was in HR. So I started off at Anderson Consulting, as it was in the late 90s, um, and on their graduate program, and I was in-house HR and then transferred into consulting, so was uh, client-facing and fee-earning. And then I did that for about five and a half years. Then I left and joined Shell, so another huge multinational global corporate. And I was with Shell for over a decade in various different roles. Started off in Shell Trading, um, which was a whole heap of fun, crazy business, fast growth. And then I moved uh, from Shell Trading into into Future Fuels, as they called it, which was a massive transition because trading, the traders kind of the future was this afternoon and they couldn't really look beyond tomorrow. Whereas future fuels, we were talking about biofuels and hydrogen production in 2050. So it was a completely different frame of reference, really. Um, And then I did some talent roles across the downstream business. Then I decided, um, after I had my kids, I decided I wanted to work in sports. So sports a passion of mine. It's kind of what we do as a family. And I decided that I had a functional skill that was transferable across industry. So I set myself on a mission to go and work in sports and ended up going to the Rugby Football Union. Um, So that's the governing body of rugby based out of Twickenham. And I was the HR director there for four and a half years, which I absolutely loved. And through that, I met Tim Rodber, who's the CEO of Instant. He's an um, ex-British and Irish Lion and England rugby player. So that's how our paths crossed. And uh, we got on well and kept in contact. And then once I decided it was time to move on from the RFU, um, I had no desire particularly to work in property. But what I did want is a really commercial environment in a fast-moving business, in a 
changing industry um, and, a, and a growth business. I knew the environment I wanted to work in and I knew that I was going to get that with Tim. So that's how I ended up in property. It was more the environment, the culture and what we were trying to achieve as a business than the industry as such. I've got to ask you though, first impressions as a sort of outsider coming in. Yeah. Be honest. Um, the first impressions of Instant were really positive. We've got great people. And as I joined as an HR director, clearly my job has now changed significantly. But as I joined as an HR director, it was all about the people. So the first impressions in week one were really positive. As I've explored across the industry, <laughs> probably slightly less positive. Um, the it is very traditional it has to be said there's a lot of very traditional thinkers and the way it's been for 20 30 years and my frame of reference is obviously much more recent and it's primarily through and post covid um if you can say post covid with the numbers at the moment but um so i think the traditional way of thinking was quite a shock to me so i enjoy where we are as an instant group which is trying to kind of disrupt that and think a little bit differently and covid has really helped um people's eyes open to that um but it's a huge industry you kind of it, it, you don't realize really how absolutely enormous the workspace industry is and probably one of the last industries to really modernize i would say if you think about a lot of other um, industries whether it be it or even hr there's been a lot of modernization and i think we're now in the real estate industry catching up so uh, just diving straight in if you could wave a wand and say right catch up real estate what, what would be that first area or theme do you think that, that, that it would, would have to be flex so it would have to be the, the idea now about people signing 25 year leases apart from in very unusual maybe headquartered circumstances to me just seems completely bonkers I don't know how so it would be the use of flex and having an agile portfolio there will be times where huge buildings and long leases are appropriate yeah. But the ability of a business to be resilient when real estate is one of the top three costs, yeah. that I can't understand how agility and flexibility can't feature in, in that sort of planning. So if I could wave a magic wand, um, I think the agility and flexibility will come over the course of the next few years, um, certainly the next decade. But if I could wave a magic wand, I'd kind of make it, you know, I'd make it happen now. It's going to take time. Um, and, and, and what would be your advice? So that's... As an occupier, I understand that, right? As I said, we're sitting here talking in, in all of our board meetings about yeah. our um, one office um, strategy. But where do you see landlords? You know, cause commercial landlords, my experience of commercial landlords, without naming any names, has been sort of disengaged, might be a polite way of putting it. Yeah, I think so far in my new job, um, I've been in the job six months and I've been very focused on the client side. I've got a great team working on the landlord operator side, but I haven't met as many landlords as I've met clients. So my impression is probably um, slightly narrow. But landlords, I think, are starting to wake up. I think they're starting to think about what can I do differently with my space? They're not expecting 10, 15 year, 20 year leases to be signed. More landlords are starting to say, how can I put flex space? Who can I partner with to do that? Yeah. How can I do a sort of white label solution for different clients? So it's slow. And but I think they're starting to change and to wake up. But of course, there's a lot of people who are in long leases, so this whole process is going to take a long period of time. Um, so it's to me, it seems like it's starting to change. But and COVID must have a, a sort of 
accelerated the curve, right? Um, it, or not? I mean, I think it has to have done. It it has to have done. And I've certainly seen that. And I've only got one lens, which is obviously from my business. But if you look at, we've been talking about agility and flexibility in workspace for 20 years, more forcefully over kind of the Tim Robbie years of the last seven or eight but COVID has made people wake up to that. It can be done more flexibly. People can work effectively from home. That's what people want. That is the expectations of employees. And it is not going to go back to the traditional way. That's just not going to happen. So we have to look forward. We have to understand that things are going to move and progress. And I think COVID has just given, I think has accelerated what would have happened anyway. So, so more on the talent mindset then of occupation and occupying a mm-hmm. workspace, um, Wind the clock back five years, I would say the vast majority of companies, mine included, was nine till five, Monday to Friday, you know, why would you do anything other than that? That's certainly my experience of servicing organisations. Everybody goes 100% remote, almost everybody, I know certain sectors um, stayed on the tools, but... um, And now, uh, as business leaders, yourself, myself, and, you know thousands of others we find ourselves sort of trying to find a, 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 a pattern that works for our people and a pattern that works for our business yeah what's your advice to your customers or you know anybody listening to this i suppose so it is more complex and it is harder to navigate i believe the upsides are greater but it isn't as straightforward if everyone's in the office it's pretty straightforward to manage them and there's a, it's very clear rules if everyone's at home it's pretty straightforward to manage them it's very clear rules in this hybrid world it is harder for businesses yeah. what i've done for my business is we've looked at three things we've looked at what do we want from workspace as a business we've looked at what line managers want from their teams and we've asked individuals and employees what they want and we've taken those inputs and we've decided this on a workspace strategy essentially and that's based around three themes so for us connectivity is critical flexibility is critical um, and relationships are critical so they're the three themes that no matter where you are in the world an instant whether you're the only employee that we employ in Sweden or Finland or whether you're part of the London office where there's 160 200 of us those are the themes that underpin our workspace strategy then we start to design around that and see what solutions will support those three themes and we're testing and learning. We've just um, actually moved offices in London and we've designed an office that we think will advocate all of those three themes. And But there is no silver bullet. There is no simple answer. And I think having a clear workspace strategy so people understand the frame of reference, something that balances what the business needs with what employees want is critical. If you do too employee-focused, you're going to suffer as a business. If you do too business focused in the talent market, you're going to suffer as a business. <laughs> um, so I think that's that's critical. Having an evolve and learn mindset. So there isn't a silver bullet you're going to come up with. You're not going to find the right answer right away. And also you're just going to have to put time and effort into it. You know, you think about how easy it is to manage a team who are sat around you. There's just six people and you, you, know, you just manage them. They're sat around you. When you're in a hybrid situation, the research shows that You need all the same skills to manage that team, but you need to be better at all of them. So if you're a good communicator, you've got to be better at it. If you're good at supporting people, you've got to be better at it. If you set goals and objectives, you've got to be even clearer in a hybrid environment. So it's still the same, but um, it's a bit harder and you've got to put more effort into it. But I believe the upside is 
much is, is positive. I agree with you, and obviously we're we're sort of um, our ear is to the ground in terms of what does talent want. Totally. You know? And um, you know, I don't hear too many conversations around. I really want to be tearing in, you know, on the six a.m. Monday, and you know, missing my kids' dinner on a Friday evening. So what? So let me challenge you a little bit. Why in the clock? For, at the moment, it feels to me that the norm, if there is a norm, we're in the city. Yeah. Um, and um, feels that you know Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday pattern seems to be a thing, and Mondays and Fridays seem to be much more fluid. In five years' time, how do you see it looking? Oh, I mean, five years is a long time. <laughs> Go back five years, and I think I used to work from home every Friday, and I thought that was pretty progressive. That's just one day a week with a stable pattern. So in five years' time, what do I think? I, I don't know. I think it's really difficult to predict, but I hope that we will look at hybrid working as more of the norm. So it's not something that talent is demanding. It's something that businesses are thriving from because they've got wider access to talent. You know, we've just recruited a lady who lives in Northampton. She's brilliant, senior um, account director. And if I'd have said you're in the office five days a week, she would have said no. no. So she's going to be in the office two days a week, sometimes three. And as a result, we've been able to secure that talent. So your talent pool is much more wide open. Employees can have this sort of balance in their life and, and hopefully reduce some of the stress that people have had over the, you know, uh, stress has obviously been in the increase the last 20 years or so. Um, so I'm an optimist and I am passionate about workspace and equally passionate about people. And so if you combine all of those things together, I think hybrid being the norm and the people's different working patterns are being accepted and people don't bat an eyelid at them would be where I'd love it to be. Do you know, it's fascinating listening to you because I, I, yeah, there aren't too many, as, as, as far as I'm aware, in the property sector, managing directors who come from that HR um, you know, school. Yeah, I think the... Um, that's partly why Tim put me in the job. I mean, this wasn't something I kind of, this was not in my life plan at all. But being a disruptor in the industry, I think we've got a lot of people who know a lot about property and who've worked in property for a long time. The other thing that's happened over the last couple of years and certainly will continue over the course of the next five years is this kind of collision um, of the human angle, the digital and tech angle, sustainability and the physical workspace. And that is a much more complex situation for organisations to navigate, which is actually why another trend I think will happen is more organisations will outsource their real estate. It's much less simple than it was. It's not just how many people have you got, look at your growth patterns, pick an office that's the right size for the people and off we go. That collision of um, tech, sustainability is just on all of our clients' yeah. um, thought processes as well as landlords and operators starting to realise they have to wake up to that agenda as well because when clients are choosing office space, they care about it, so they've got to kind of wake up. So I think the complexity of all of that um, will continue. And because of the people angle, that's really why Tim wanted me in, in the role because now it's not just real estate people that we're talking to. Our clients, we're talking to CEOs, yeah. CFOs, COOs, procurement people, and certainly HR directors. In fact, there's quite a few of our clients where real estate has now been moved and falling under the HR director. So if we've got lots of people in Instant who talk about property, then they're sort of, I partner with them and I am obviously can talk about the people side till the cows come home. Yeah, brilliantly. 
Now, it's been some big news um, in the last, what, how long has it been? Ten days? Two weeks? Two weeks, Two yep. weeks. Yep. Share the news. So we, uh, it's really the next phase of growth for, for the Instant Group. Um, up until now, we've been owned by private equity businesses, and we have just um, now merged with IWG's digital assets. So I guess one of my questions working for the business has always been, we've got a very clear vision about what we want to do, and how are we going to be able to scale quick enough organically and that's always been a sort of in the back of my mind a bit of a nagging challenge and what this does is really accelerate uh, what we're aiming for and we want to create the world's largest marketplace for flex so if you think about most industries um a good one uh, buying houses an amazon of of, of, well, it's more of, one, one an example space. that I mean, the Wall Street Journal wrote about it, and they said like Airbnb. So if you want to book a, um, yeah. if you want to book a someone's uh, some accommodation in a different country, yeah. uh, the, one of the first places That's you would go would either be Booking dot com or Airbnb. That's Airbnb is a very easy concept to understand, but it's very B two C. So you're the end user, and you go on it. Now we will do that for sole traders. There's a one marketplace. We'll aggregate all of the supply across whether it's virtual offices, whether it's booking meeting rooms in hotels or airports all the way through to workspace um, and co-working and service space and there'll be an, an app essentially that you can go on and book it um, so that um, that's the strategy is this very fragmented market bringing it all into one place but rather than just B2C obviously it would be B2B as well so organisations and our large clients would also use that so whether, uh, but it's not just about booking space, that's one element of it, but also booking short-term leases, um, virtual offices, memberships, and consulting, helping organisations to understand how do I create a workspace strategy um, and uh, to make sure that I've got the agility that is required for the resilience of my business. So everything to do with Flex, our aim is to be the market leader. And by the investment and bringing in IWG's digital assets into our business, that is a big accelerant for us. The important thing to note, which um, is absolutely critical, is we've been very clear about what we want to do over the next two years, which is to float the business, to IPO. Um, and that speaks to the independence of the business. So whilst IWG have merged their assets into the instant group, we remain completely independent. The whole premise of creating a global marketplace for flex means you have to be independent. If we're not independent, we're not an open marketplace, we're not providing choice. So that has been critical to explain um, to the market and once people understand that then, and they get it then. So it's still the instant group, it's still got the same chairman, it's still run by Tim, we've got the same global exec, we've got the same strategy, we've just got an accelerant, um, which is very exciting. It's really exciting, it's really, really exciting. And so um, markets that you're, you're, you're North America, Europe, Asia, am I correct? Yep, we are, yep. Um, Talk me through that footprint a little bit more, would you, in terms of the shape of the business? So the the business is really, and I think this is probably reflective of the flex market, is, is probably uh, most advanced and most mature in the UK. So we've got more people and business in the UK. Um, it's a significant proportion of our EBITDA. We've got um, a really strong business in APAC. We've got some significant clients in APAC across Singapore, um, Philippines, Malaysia especially, and that business is doing really, really well. And then in the States, we've got a strong business in, US, in the US. We've invested a lot, and that investment's now starting to come to fruition. And a more fledgling business in South America. 
So we've got a wonderful guy who leads our business in South America and we're starting to do um, more and expand in South America. And EMEA, the German market is pretty advanced. Um, the other markets are catching up. Uh, and I think where we are as an instant group reflects the the markets, the flex markets in those countries. So the UK is leading the way in that respect? It is, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a more uh, mature market than anywhere else. Why do you think that is? Ooh, I honestly don't know. I, I really don't know. I'm not sure why that is. I've only been in property for three, three and a half years, so you'd have to go back to... Well, um, I asked him. Well, <laughs> I think of myself as being in it in some shape for twenty, but I've got no idea either. But it's <laughs> nice to hear. It's nice to hear we're doing. It's nice to hear we're doing well. Um, challenges. There's, you know, lots of people listening to this are, are either business leaders and you know, um, you know, figuring out figuring out how to navigate their their path. Yeah. Or um, you know, are people working their way up through their careers. You know, the the um, the candidate network that we share. So. What what are the major challenges that you find in the role today, um, and how have you gone about tackling them? Um, major challenges. So, well, the biggest challenge I've faced in the last two years has been homeschooling and working. So, we everyone knows all about that now, and what a total and utter hell it was. So, yeah. that's good. It was sort of my biggest personal challenge. I think a challenge in the role for me is very. I mean, it's very unusual for somebody with 25 years in HR to move across into um, a managing director role. Now, I was always kind of, for the last eight years or so, I've kind of been HRD plus. Um, so I've been called an HRD, but I've done quite a lot of other things as well, whether it be strategy or running cross-organisational projects, that kind of thing. But I've quite liked being HRD plus. <laughs> um, and so the transition into a managing director role I think it's probably um, a big challenge when you've been in a functional role for a long time. A lot of finance people do it. A lot of finance people go up the finance route yeah. and then go CFO to CEO. Not as many HR people, um, or from the other functions like legal and, and marketing, so or IT. Um, I think probably the biggest challenge for me is maintaining the self belief. You know, I know my sweet spot. I know what I'm good at, and there's areas of the business that I've never touched, and it's it's a transition for me because I've always known the detail of the teams that have worked for me. So as soon as there's a problem, I can just dive into the detail and solve it. Yeah. And I'm now in a position where I can't do that. And there's real positives to that, and I'm really enjoying it. So the key is make sure you've got a brilliant team beneath you because you can't solve all the problems for them. Um, so making sure that I've got an amazing team beneath me, and which I'm lucky to have, um, is probably the way I get around that challenge. It's really, it's really, really um, honest and candid of you to be so open like uh, about your weak spots or blind spots perhaps I'm, I'm not sure how we how we describe them um flex um do you see the do you see an opportunity for instant to to leave workspace or is it 100 percent workspace environments that's your focus uh, we have to, we did discuss this about two and a half years ago. We did a piece of work to sort of take a step back and say, what is our strategy? What was I felt was happening when I joined the business was that we were being slightly diluted. Right. It's such a huge industry, as we were saying earlier, to go after. Yeah. There's so many different ways. You know, do we start? We've got we've got more data than anyone else in the world. Do we start a data business? You know, it was an idea that people were quite passionate about, as an example. And when you've got brilliant people they have brilliant ideas. Yeah. So there was a lot that we weren't short of ideas or innovation, but we did lack a bit of cohesion and direction. So we had a big debate about that, and we decided with the size of the market and what we were trying to achieve that workspace 
was definitely within our remit. So, um, and, and, and the limit of our remit. So everything workspace, whether that's consulting, whether that's managed, whether it's flex, whether it's meeting, now it's memberships and uh, meeting rooms and offices, but we won't, we won't um, expand outside of that, not in the foreseeable future anyway. We've got plenty to go at. Just, um, so what would be your advice? Lots of business leaders, myself included, sitting here thinking, where do we go next? What do we do? How do we plan? Um, you know, it's. It, I guess the corporates have teams that think about that and that alone. You know, the the, the global sort of firms that you support and service. But most most organisations are SMEs, aren't they? You know, yep. twenty people, fifty people, hundred people, and they don't have these functions internally. What would be your advice to a business owner or a leader around um, workspace planning and decision making? So we, yeah, traditionally we work with all sizes of businesses, from very small businesses who are looking for you know, one desk in, in Hull for half a day all the way through to the Amazons and um, Amexes and um, organisations of the world. But one of our big target markets has been the mid-market. Yeah. And the reason for that is exactly as you say, they don't have big in-house, if any, real estate teams. The complexity of what is facing them at the moment is much tougher than ever before. Yeah. Employee expectations have changed, so how do they navigate it? And, you know, I would say this, wouldn't I, but my advice is reach out and get help um, because sometimes it's pretty simple but other times there is more complexity to it and lots of different businesses have lots of different drivers they've got different shareholders stakeholders board members growth plans challenges and so understanding what those challenges are and how workplace strategy can help that business our purpose is to help businesses move forward faster so we can come up with an answer, we can ask the right questions and come up with an answer and help guide with those strategies very quickly. And then if the organisation wants, we can also help implement them. So I would say that, wouldn't I? But if I was a leader in a mid-market business with no experience of real estate, knowing that real estate can help accelerate that business or become a problem for that business from a talent perspective, from a cost perspective, then I think reaching out and getting help as this market is more complex is what we would do. We've always done that on IT. Yeah. You haven't done, you know, chosen your IT systems and implemented and them yourselves. It. No, you just go to an organisation to help you. So I think real estate is becoming more like that. What's the most common mistake you see the, the, the mid-market leadership make? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I think... They come to us quite often knowing, thinking they know what they want. And eight to ten questions later, suddenly they're not quite sure. Oh, right, I didn't realise that was the art of the possible. So we've got an organisation at the moment. Um, I'm work I know the CEO and I'm, we're working with them. And they came and said, we want to bring three offices together. There's about 60 or 70 people and um, currently split across London. And for cohesion reasons, we want to bring them together. So we want to lease three to five years, show us the market. So we said, asked a few questions, and then suddenly we showed them the service options in the market. Yeah. And now they're going to go down a service route because they see the simplicity of that um, and what that can give them and the agility that will give them. Now, actually, the, if we'd have gone down the lease route, that would have, you know, from, from our perspective, probably um, been better for our balance sheet. But our focus is very, very client-centric and making sure we show organisations the whole market and choose the right solution for them is what we're all about. And so I think a lot of people come to us thinking they know what they want. And if they're very determined with that, then of course we'll support them with that as, as fast as we can. But 
sometimes we're asking a couple of questions and you see, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Or the sustainability piece, you ask a couple of questions around that and suddenly, you know, they're sort of like, oh, yeah, goodness, those are questions I should be asking so we can help them. And this, you know, I think you're so smart, super smart. I think you're oh, thanks. And, <laughs> no, I do. And I think you're very inspiring as a leader. Um, and I think lots of people will be listening to disagreeing with me. What would be your one tip? If there's... You know, to, to the next generation that are listening to this, thinking about where they want to be in 10 years or 15 years' time in terms of you know, um, leadership capability and a leadership role, what would be your one top tip to those people? Um, can I do two? What if I say no? <laughs> I'll pick one. <laughs> no, no, um, I, the two things that took me a long time to learn the first one is as a young person in Accenture and probably in Shell as well knowing that I wanted to put my foot on the career pedal I looked at the senior people around me and I was trying to emulate them I was trying to oh I'm going to be more like her or more like him Mm. and it took me quite a while to realize you don't have to be someone else you need to have the confidence to be who you are as a leader. And you can take learnings from other people, but taking that into yourself and having the confidence to say, this is who I am as a leader and how I'm going to lead and what's important to me, um, took me a while to learn because I was trying to be like other people, um, if you see what I mean. Um, So that's probably one. The other one, as you get more senior, there's generally no right answer. So the reasons dilemmas come to you, problems come to you, is because they're complex. And I was always searching for the right answer and thinking through problems. And, and, and actually, there is no right answer. So you just have to go analyse all the information and take a decision. People are looking for a decision rather than perfection sometimes. And that took me a bit of a while to learn as well. The two top tips. I'm scribbling hard with a <laughs> tattoo on my forearm. Right, I don't know if you've been briefed on this, but obviously I'm conscious of your time, very valuable time. We sort of, before we wrap up, what we do is we play some quickfire questions. Are you up for playing? I am. (laughs) Good. Cats or dogs? I'm allergic to cats, so dogs. Sweet or salty popcorn? Salty. I can't bear sweet popcorn. My Mm -hmm. kids eat it, and even the smell makes me... Really? And it's certainly not a mix, because sometimes now you get no, a bag of mix. No, so wrong. That, that's terrible, isn't so it? So you wrong. The, you're expecting one and you get the other. Oh, no. Um, like Revels. Do you remember those sweets, Revels, and you pick one out and it would always be the one you didn't want? Oh, no. I was never, I never went down the Revel road. No. Never, no, never you didn't managed anything, to convince me to get them. Now, there's a question here. I don't want to um, call my team out, but I know your, your, your answer to this one, so I'm, I'm going to make it up. Um favourite sport you mentioned you're mad on sport you work for the RFU well I was a tennis player were you I was a tennis player Um, my husband is massively into rugby my dad was a GB hockey captain and in the Olympics twice so pretty much any ball sport wow tennis I'm terrible at tennis (laughs) terrible (laughs) Um, Skyrise office in the city or Victorian conversion in the West End I don't care, As a, so I'd go with the one where the designer of the office space helped me do my job. So inside, not outside. Yeah. Bowie or the Beatles? 
something a little more modern. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'm more drum and bass than David Bowie. I'm, I've never volunteered this on my podcast before, but I was in a recording studio all day yesterday. Were you? I was, yeah. Oh, doing what? Uh, um, making music, funnily enough. But this is a this is. This oh, I'm now, we're now diverting off. But somewhere. my husband, yeah, he's a he's a. We've just had some decks um, built in our put in our house, and he's a, used to be a drum and bass DJ. So that's the kind of music that rings out around our house. Not so much. We will carry this conversation on offline. <laughs> um, and my final question, which I always, always ask everybody to answer, is if you could own one property in the world, which one would it be and why? Centre Court, Wimbledon. That's a good answer. Lucinda, thank you so much for coming along and uh, having a chat. It's been brilliant, really, really insightful. No, really it's a pleasure. Really nice to see you again. Thank you for having me. join the DS movement by visiting ds.devrilsmith.com and you will receive the latest Deadcast episode direct to your inbox.